Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of listener questions on today's show we'll be discussing some of the biggest player rivalries usmnt roster snubs and the cast of characters in the hypothetical tss movie studio slasher flick Ooh. my name's ryan bailey joining me today is a man who i'm introducing first because at the rate things are going he's gonna have to take one of the available jobs in british government very shortly graham rudlin hello hello please no no i don't want that sort of drama in my life thank you too much uh, for me yeah, as we record, uh, listener, the British government is currently unfurling. There may be a new prime minister by the time we finish recording. Uh, it seems that there's a lot of resignations and it's going to be your turn next, Graham, I think, to do something. Yeah, or Cristiano Ronaldo's. I feel like the way the tr- speculation could converge with him somehow ending up in number 10 by the end of tonight. That's true. Pochettino's free. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, not sure he's uh, he's comfortable in a hostile dressing room with uh, lots of egos and people pulling in different directions. But yeah, sure, why not? Give him the job. There we go. Also here, a man who's preparing to inject the women's Euros directly into his veins. We're recording just before the opening game. Joe Lowry, we've got some competitive soccer tournaments coming up. Yay! I'm here for it. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I watched the U.S. Women's National Team beat Haiti 3-0 at the CONCACAF W Championship, which Taylor and I will talk about more at the end of the week. I've enjoyed getting to watch and, and, and learn more about the W Championship down in CONCACAF. And the same goes for the Euros. I really enjoyed doing our preview earlier this week. I think I learned a lot along the way, which is always a good thing. So now I have things to watch for. And other than Spain sort of imploding because of injuries, I, I you know, I, I really couldn't be happier. Yes, I'm very excited about tonight uh, to Joseph and not just because of the prime ministerial situation. Other stuff in England happening, which is fantastic. Rounding out our pack, our captain, our leader, our legend, who will debate you into the early hours on the difference between a cover and a rendition of a song. Is that right, Taylor Rockwell? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I'll debate I have strong feelings. I don't really have strong feelings, but I, I do have strong feelings about what's a good cover and what's a bad cover. But yes, this was in our music chat. Is that right, Ryan? Yes, we, we're in a music fantasy league because we are nerds. And yeah. um, the the question of what is the difference between a cover and a rendition came up. And yeah. my answer was, uh, they're synonyms for the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's basically it. I think my like personal distinction is a rendition is like something closer to a song that's in the public domain. It's like, this land is your land. I don't know if you're covering that, because I think so many different people have played it over the years, versus a cover is like a, you are definitely playing someone else's song. Ryan Adams covering Oasis was definitely playing their song. Indeed. You don't, after the uh, the national anthem, you don't, I said that was a great cover of uh, the national anthem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, I think while we're talking about rules and music, I think you also don't mention Ryan, Ad- Ryan Adams anymore. So I apologize for breaking that rule immediately. Yeah, he canceled, but also back on tour, Taylor. Fun times, fun times. I have, I have a, a, a lighter question for, for you both instead of that topic. Uh, for, for Graham and Ryan, that is, who's the best fictional prime minister you all have seen on tele- in television or film? Because uh, we get that, there's that debate a lot, or that question a lot about who's the best like fictional American presidents. I was assuming it was Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes, of course. Asked and answered. All right, cool. <laughs> was Anthony Head a headmaster in something? Or I'm just thinking because his surname's Head. Headmaster, prime minister. What am I? I'm, I'm sure I'm conflating all my words. I don't I'm know. also trying to remember the the name of the actor who played the prime minister in Black Mirror, the one with the the pig oh. in that episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Honorable mention from Graham Ruffin. That that, that actor maybe uh, portrays the current situation best, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I'm not sure the name of that actor. I realise why I brought up Anthony Head. I believe he was the Prime Minister in Little Britain, if your brains go back that far. That's where I've got that one from. Um, But yeah, Hugh Grant is the correct answer, right? I mean, he dances down the stairs and stuff. What, nah, what pig want? guy. Pig guy's the answer. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. 
Anywho, why don't we get to our listener questions? We've had plenty. Thank you very much for filling our mailbag, listener. Uh, TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions if you want to send us one. Sean, Lo- Sean Lopez has done so. What is an on-field rule change that you would implement to make the game more exciting? I'll throw one out, says Sean. Yeah, any grabbing of a jersey, says Sean. Any grabbing of a jersey anywhere on the field results in a penalty kick from the spot. At least two great chances per game go away due to these tactical fouls. Let's eliminate them and have more goal-scoring chances. The idea of giving a penalty for an infraction outside the box is a conversation we should probably have. But Taylor, where did you, where did you land on this one? Uh... I, your introduction to me for this episode was a good one because maybe this is the stickler in me. I need clarification from you three because shirt pulling happens everywhere all the time in soccer. It happens like not anymore. See it not in Sean's world. times on the corners. Well, this is my question because then the second part seems to imply that it's about the professional fouling aspect when there's the obvious jersey pull to deny a sort of counterattacking opportunity or a goal scoring opportunity. Like in so, a European final? Like, are we t- exactly? Well, no, that was totally legal. That was a great challenge right. by Chiellini. Ryan, don't uh, disparage but- <laughs> LAFC's finest. Come on, you're better so, than that. Are we saying for the, for purposes of this conversation? Are we saying any time a shirt is pulled, there's a penalty is awarded? Or are we saying any time a shirt is sort of obviously pulled in one of those denying a counterattacking opportunity sort of situations? What's the Depends how much chaos you want. Sean Sean says any time a jersey is pulled. Also, yeah, I mean, I think it I think it has to be letter of the law here, Taylor. Uh, yeah, then I think I'm maybe not as, as into that one so much. I do like the idea of there being penalties for uh, like that shirt pull, that that kind of professional foul. And I have a way of dealing with that, which is my rule change. But if people wanted to address uh, Sean's qu- idea first, I- I'm happy to uh, yield the rest of my time. Taylor, I think if you're going to get that specific with the language, uh, Sean says any grabbing of a jersey anywhere on the field. So you could argue that a substitute coming off, pulling off his own jersey is an infraction Uh-oh. and a penalty. Penalty, immediately. There we go. Okay, well, now I'm kind of into it because now I enjoy, I mean, in the COVID era when we don't want physical contact, I guess that's the best way to kind of go about nullifying that. My way of nullifying those those things would be the sin bin. I've talked about this before. Mm. I want it again. I want penalty boxes back. I want, uh, you like, similar to hockey, we, we bring in the indoor rules. You get a blue card uh, added to the equation. So blue cards, yellow cards, red cards. Blue card is five minutes. That's for dissent persistent infringement or a professional foul first offense and then your second one you're getting a yellow card and that's 10 minutes and i like the idea of yeah then teams have to play shorthanded or maybe both teams have to play shorthanded if there's a particular incident or series of incidents but i think that would be more entertaining because suddenly you've got power play chances and mismatches and teams kind of struggling to figure things out you always love when the home team rewards the fans when their team scores uh, shorthanded. I feel like there were always Papa John's pizzas on offer. Maybe we can find something better than that. But I think the idea of uh, <laughs> kicking players out of the game briefly would create more excitement and enthusiasm. And I think also maybe keep the game moving a little bit faster. But maybe that's just wishful thinking. Tate, uh, we dream the same dreams. We want the same things. That yeah. was top of my list was sin bins. Uh, specifically, I wanted a diving sin bin. Ooh. If you're booked for diving, if you're shown a yellow car for diving, 10 minutes out. No yeah. arguments. I, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Ryan, we can work on this together. We can collab, if you will. Yay. My other one I had on my list was uh, more of a general... I don't know if you call this an on-field rule change, but I just want straight to penalties. I don't, I don't want extra time anymore. Yep. Let's get rid of that. That's yeah. not technically under yeah. Sean's remit here. But... Retweet. Yeah. <laughs> also, retweet Graham's retweet. So that's, that's two retweets. <laughs> I'll, I'll, Ryan, I'll, I'll go along with that if, if you're done and you'll allow me to, to continue here. I think getting rid of extra time would be incredible for the sport, incredible for our lives as individual people and as a collective <laughs> on this show. I also think if, if that's not going to happen, Taylor, this is one that you've talked about before too, but I really like it and so I'm stealing it. Go down a man in extra time. Just take one. Each team has to take one player off the field. They can only play with 10. They can still have one sub or however many subs they have left, but you have to play with 10 for the first half of extra time and then go down to nine for the second half. I guarantee you that players would hate that because they'll have to run so much further, but it would make the game more entertaining. That's that's one of the things that I have. I want to make free kicks worth two. Can we do that, fellas? Can we, can we make free kicks worth two? Because I think free kicks are already epic. And, and scoring a free kick, I think, might actually be the, the best and most fun thing about soccer. 
And so why not just make them more epic by making them worth two? I feel like that, I feel like that could make the game way more fun and just helps us end up with a bunch more pot shots from 35 yards, which is exactly what I'm looking for. But Joe, I've seen loads of people complaining that the three-point rule has ruined basketball. <laughs> so is this going to do the same to soccer? I don't I don't listen to those people, Graham. That's okay. They just don't enjoy fun slash they're tired of Steph Curry, what, which is what? somewhat understandable. So yeah, I, I want to make free kicks worth two. I also want to bring goalie wars back. If we could do that, that would be really cool. Oh Maybe God. instead of penalty kicks, we just replace penalties with goalie wars because goalie wars are fun and soccer hey, should be fun. Taylor, Sorry, what's goalie I've wars? Got, I've got a way to bridge that one. Graham, it's basically when you have two goalies like 30 to 40 yards. They bring the, the goals goal. close like, in together yeah. and then they just huck balls back and forth. And if it, if they yep. can throw it or kick it into the back of the net, then they get a point in the other person. Okay, and, and, but in what context, at, at what point in the Fun. match does that take part? <laughs> instead of penalties. Instead of penalties. Right, or okay, maybe just for the yeah. whole second half, to be honest. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> is, Joe is coming dangerously close to just advocating for Thunderdome when it's yep. like two men entering, one goalkeeper <laughs> leaves. I like that one. Uh, but yeah, J- Joe, what we did uh, in, in my like college uh like intramural games was we would do that over in uh extra time one player has to go off but it was one player off every five minutes until someone scores that's really good and it ended uh on a full field 2v2 is what we got down (laughs) to so yeah that kind of was goalie wars and uh also exhausting at the same time i only saw goalie wars for the first time this week i think it circulated on twitter a few days ago it looks fantastic doesn't it I approve this message. It's, it's so a great fun. way to break it's fingers so and hands. This yeah. is, <laughs> Sean, I feel like this isn't really to the spirit of your question. I think you were looking for maybe more slightly practical things, but I just <laughs> kept coming back to goalie wars. I'm really sorry. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> Graham, anything to add here? Yeah, so one of my favorite things in football is when a team is chasing a late goal and they win a corner kick and there's a, a melodramatic quality to it. You have everyone going up. You have the goalkeeper looking to the bench for permission to get into the box <laughs> and it feels like a Hail Mary moment and there's, a bit, as I say, there's an undeni- undeniable drama to it. So my rule change would be I would make every throw-in from 80 minutes on that would be a kick-in. So essentially, if you're high up the pitch and you win a throw-in with the clock winding down, you're going to have the same opportunity you would you would with a late corner kick or a, or a, or a free kick. And I, I have questions about Arsene Wenger's proposal to make throw-ins kick-ins, mm. and my main concern is that you would make everything a free kick or a corner kick. But in the late stages of a match, those last 10 minutes in stoppage time, I think it could create more chaos. And if there's one thing I look for in a soccer match, it's chaos. So... I vote for that change. So why would you have it only in the last 10 minutes, Graham? I, I, I'm interested in this rule. and I, I was thinking about this earlier today about Wenger's proposal. And it does it makes a, a, a throw-in nigh on a corner if it's close to the flag, of course. Mm-hmm. But why, why, only the, why is it not an issue in the first... Why is it an issue because in the I first think, half or whatever? Because I think teams are less likely to just have 10 players and maybe even 11 players in the box if they're sending the goalkeeper up. Last 10 minutes, there's a desperation quality to it. As I say, there's, there's a drama to it. It feels like it's the last opportunity. You might not get a chance again. I kind of want more of those delicious moments. And if you, have it in, if you have it the rest of the match and it happens 10 minutes in, I think there's a good chance that the kick-in is just played short and they, and they just keep possession. Where the last 10 minutes, there's that desperation factor. Okay. All right. Um, good question, Sean. Are we all agreed that we shouldn't give a penalty for infractions outside the box, though, with the whole shirt pulling thing? You, you, we can punish shirt pulling, but I'm not sure about giving a penalty for something that happens 80 yards from the penalty area is a good thing. Taylor? Yeah, I don't I don't Joe? think you want to go quite that extreme, but I am all for punishing. I think a sin bin is a, a pretty good way to do that and probably a more fair way to do it than a penalty kick. Yeah. All righty. Sean, thank you very much for that question. We go to Seoul now, or Saul, depending on from where you reign, Seoul slash Seoul. What are some of the biggest or memorable rivalries between players? Uh, Taylor, the one that struck me straight away might not be the most obvious one, but it's one that's maybe pertinent to the team that you like. Mm-hmm. Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham in the 90s. Uh, yes. who were oh, yeah, str- I you're going a different way. But yeah, that would be one. All over a handshake, right? Uh, yeah, exactly that. So they were strike partners at Manchester United, teammates who literally never spoke to each other, but yet were very successful at Manchester United. And the story was, as you say, Tete, that um, Cole was snubbed by Sheringham when Sheringham was subbing off for him during an England game. I believe it was Cole's debut for England. He felt it was a special moment. He felt slighted by Sheringham in that moment. And as a result, they didn't speak for the rest of their careers, which is pretty amusing when you work in such close quarters taylor and and also when they enjoyed su- such success together as well like yeah. that's a 
very strong willpower to go through winning a treble and everything like that and not talk to each other because of a handshake in a in an international match. Some would say petty. Some would say extremely would petty say for both of them. But yeah, I think that there's also, I've heard stories about that being like sharing him, being frustrated he was being subbed off, but also feeling like it was a little bit the changing of the guard and that mm. he was on his way out as this youngster was coming in and maybe there was resentment there. Either way, I don't think it makes Teddy sharing him look good for not shaking the hand. I'm not sure it makes either one of them look particularly good for not communicating for that long a period of time. The Man United one I thought you might be going with, Ryan, was the Roy Keane-Patrick Vieira rivalry. Uh, That one, pretty strong. They made the the documentary about it recently. But that was, I think I'm correct in saying that that also involves Pizzagate and there's other uh, factors at play there. Uh, A different Pizzagate than the more modern one. That one being when uh, Cesc Fabregas threw pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, But this one, I think then... I forget which, oh, Gary Neville gets pushed by Patrick Vieira, allegedly in the pre-match warm-ups. Roy Keane takes issue with that. That's the famous, oh, I'll see you out there, I'll see you out there, uh, shouting match in the tunnel. And I think the two of them really did not like each other on or off the pitch. They <laughs> seem to be, I think Patrick Vieira seems more okay with Roy Keane than Roy Keane seems with Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Then again, Roy Keane doesn't seem too great with most people. That that documentary that ITV did is, is brilliant because the context is that Keane and Vieira both work as pundits for ITV so they got them in the same room to talk about their clashes and there's quite nice imagery imagery where they've got pictures pinned to the wall and they talk through those moments and you can tell yes they have mellowed and they obviously work together and so on but there are points in their discussion where you can just see that that yep. rivalry is still there and I thought I thought it was a brilliant a brilliant documentary try and catch it if you haven't seen it definitely so um Graham another one I thought of was quite a big one in the context of the soccer Pele versus Maradona who yep. uh, both of whom you know number tens for their respective countries, two countries who are next to each other and big rivals, who basically sniped each other via yeah. the media for decades, and it was very petty and very amusing. Yeah, and the weird thing is that they're they're they never even played against each other. Their careers barely overlapped. So when Pele was playing for, playing for the Cosmos in the seventies, Maradona was just breaking through as a sixteen-year-old in Argentina. But then, as you say, the decades that followed. Uh, there were a lot of harsh exchanges and, and the whole feud got really weird for a period. I was reading that in 2000, they released uh, they released autobiographies in, in the same month and then there was a war of words between the two and Maradona alleged without any foundation that Pele was gay and that he'd had a relationship with one of his youth coaches at Santos and then, uh, and then Pele re- re- retaliated by saying Maradona was overrated, could only shoot with his left foot and then the weirdness kind of continued as Pele and Maradona lived their rivalry through Neymar and Messi as well, when those two came through and they kind of they kind of hitched their wagon to those two, and it was it was a strange rivalry considering, as I say, they never played against each other. Indeed, how unedifying. While we're on the topic of like major players in a rivalry, another one that did come to mind for me was Ronaldo and Messi, and I think a lot of that has to do with. Uh, their La Liga clashes, their Classico clashes. But it's also a strange one because I struggled to think of an incident off the top of my head in which, like, in contrast to Maradona and Pele, either one of them, Ronaldo or Messi, like, publicly talked trash about the other one or really put the other one down. It feels like they both went out of their way to sort of not talk about the other yeah. one or be very polite. But But as a result... I, I think of their relationship as incredibly cold, and so I think there is a rivalry between them. It's just kind of filled with silence, a la Cole and Sheringham, as opposed to outright animosity. Well, and, and that's just been Messi's approach to life as a professional yeah. soccer player, is just not <laughs> talking to anyone, right? I mean, the number of interviews True. he's done in the last decade is closer to zero than it is to 10, I would imagine. He just doesn't talk to people, which I I think is really interesting in this modern age when so much of the discussion around sports and really everything in life is about branding and how do you build your brand. And and, and Messi's just kind of said, nah, that's fine. I'll just like go out and score 100 goals in a season and get a tattoo sleeve on my leg and we'll just call that good. (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting one because it is a massive, massive rivalry, Taylor, as you say. But there's like this begrudging respect, isn't there? And I think there's a feeling amongst those two that they kind of made each other better as well. They they both realize that. I think laterally there was that respect. When I think of this rivalry, it's it's a weird one because I don't think of the two players as such going head to head, but 
two camps. There was a lot of politicking between yeah. Real Madrid and Florentino Perez campaigning for Ronaldo to win Ballon d'Ors ahead of Messi. And obviously we're all familiar with the very, very tedious social media discourse around the, the two players as well. Can you, you can't Graham, really... sorry, can you tell me more about that? I, I've never, I'm not familiar. <laughs> no, no, I can, but I won't, Joe. I refuse Fair. to. All right. um, so when I think of that rival, rivalry, it's not so much a, a personal rivalry as almost like a, politi- a, fo- a sporting political rivalry. Indeed. Uh, any more to add on this one, Joe? Any others? I'll add just one: Dejan Lovren and Sergio Ramos. I don't know that this is like the biggest or most memorable, but I did some reading up on this recently. And basically, Dejan Lovren, when he was playing for Liverpool, got mad when Sergio Ramos injured Mo Salah in that 2018 Champions League final. And then uh, fast forward a few months, and Croatia go and beat Spain in the Nations League. And Lovren basically just hits back at Ramos on social media. There's a couple posts there, and he's kind of rubbing it in his face. And then Ramos responds with a pic of him holding the Champions League trophy with Lovren underneath <laughs> with his head in his hands. And uh, Sergio Ramos, I think, won that round and all of the other rounds in that rivalry. Good stuff. Some nice shade there. Um, one tailor that struck me is maybe Pep versus Latan, but it was one-way traffic, that one, I feel. Oh, I mean, the, yeah, Zlatan has a couple, I think. Yes, Pep versus Zlatan, they both kind of openly talked each other about each other, Zlatan more so than Pep, but also Zlatan and Rafael Vandervaart. Uh, I did write down three that came to mind off the top of my head, then I did some reading last night. This is one I was less aware of, but it dates back to when they were playing together at Ajax, then they're playing against each other in an international friendly Zlatan goes in pretty hard for a challenge on Vandervaart, who uh, I think, like, you'll see it reported that his leg was broken. I think it was just that he got a really harsh tackle and maybe had a, had a bit of an injury, but he felt like Zlatan tried to break his leg and said so publicly. Again, they were playing on the same team at the same time, so then Zlatan took issue. They had a meeting with their then-manager, Ronald Koeman, in which Zlatan said that if Vandervaart didn't publicly apologize, he would actually break his legs and it kind of went from there i think zlatan was sold but they kept that rivalry going since then and uh the it it for me at least culminated there's a video of rafael vandervaart practicing his golf swing and he's not doing very well and then the person who he's playing with puts a picture of zlatan up in front of him and like the netting that he's hitting into and then he hits the golf ball straight into zlatan's face so that will tell you a little bit about how that one has cooled or not cooled uh and then a lot of the lists i read I just want to bring this up to mention it that like there's a lot of them that talk about rivalries that I don't think maybe fit into this one. Like, for example, Luis Suarez and Patrice Evra, where it's like they didn't get along. And it's like, well, yeah, because Patrice Evra accused Luis Suarez of saying racist things to him. I don't know if I would put that in a rivalry so much, but the 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 image of Evra pretending to bite the fake arm, I think, uh, is maybe why that was on the list for a lot of people. But the one, Ryan, that jumped out to me, and I'm wondering if it jumped out to you, would be Mario Icardi and Maxi Lopez huh. and uh, the drama there involving uh, some wife stealing. That was a bit of a soap opera, was it not, Tay-Tay? It remains so to this yeah. day, and I think quietly does feature Lionel Messi. To Joe's point, uh, Me- Messi and Maxi Lopez uh, are, I think, reportedly very good friends. Uh, Mario Cardi, is it is it stole? Is it is it wooed? I forget what exactly would be had an affair with, but either way, Mario Cardi is now married to Maxi Lopez's. Uh, former wife Wanda Nara Metropolitano. I think That's is it. that what we go with, right? <laughs> Correct. Thank you. Uh, I think Mar- Mario Cardi has. Uh, Maxi Lopez's children tattooed on him. It's yes. a very awkward situation, especially because Maxi Lopez, Messi, best friends, and there were all these long allegations that uh, the two of them were sort of quietly keeping Mauro Icardi out of the Argentine national team for those reasons and probably other ones. But that was another one where I think there's uh, a long-running soap opera between two players. Definitely. And the Mauro Icardi thing with Wanda Metropolitano continues as well. They have on-off things. Like they delete all their Instagrams every occasionally. Oh, yeah. But the, the, the tattoo of your former teammates' children, that's so violent. So violent, isn't it? <laughs> My goodness. Wow. That was, a be- that was a great one to end on, Tete. So thank you very much for the question. We'll be back very shortly with some more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are taking your listener questions. Here's one from Calvin Lazum, who says, what are the tactical differences in how the US MNT and the US WNT use their base 4-3-3 formation? He doesn't put in parentheses Joe Lowry, but I will. <laughs> I was going to say, Calvin, you're my new best friend. Thank you for this question, because I had a lot of fun with this. So there's a lot of similarities. There are a lot of differences, too. I want to start with the similarities before I dive into the differences and then maybe turn it over to you, Taylor, to, to hear your thoughts on this one as well. So in terms of similarities, you mentioned, Calvin, the 4-3-3 shape, and that is the place to start. They both tend to press out of that shape, and they press in a pretty similar way. So those are the two biggest things that come to mind right off the bat. And the third thing is really a focus on transitions, especially attacking transitions and really defensive transitions as well. But both teams, after they press and win the ball, with the quality that they have, especially out wide, love to go to goal quickly in those transition moments. So with the women's national team, it's Sophia Smith and Mallory Pugh really playing out wide, although Mitch Purse and Trinity Rodman can do a similar thing for the U.S. Megan Rapino to a slightly lesser extent. And for the U.S. men's national team, you're looking at Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah and Brendan Aronson and, and Gio Reyna if he's healthy, although he's not quite as prone to that sort of thing. You have similar profiles to an extent with those players. So those are some similarities. As far as differences go, there are differences in how the various starting players interpret their position. So let me explain what I mean by that. With the number nine spot, as an example, Alex Morgan, who's starting for the U.S. Women's National Team at the W Championship, is a very different type of player than Jesus Ferreira. Morgan loves to run in behind. She's a poacher in the box. She loves to get into those spaces. Ferreira is much more inclined to drop in first and then turn and run in behind. Morgan is is not really anything close to a false nine, while Ferreira can very much do that kind of 10, number 10 stuff that, that Morgan doesn't do. When Katarina Macario is playing for the women's national team, it's a different story. Macario and Ferreira, I think, are very similar players. Macario is just miles better, given her relative playing circumstances. She's she's a superstar. Ferreira, not quite so much. So that's one difference. The fullback usage is different. Taylor, we, we talked about this last week, how uh, the U.S. likes to keep their right back especially a little deeper. So Kelly O'Hara stays deeper on the right, certainly deeper than Sergino Dest does when he's starting for the national team, and maybe not quite as deep as we saw Reggie Cannon start for the U.S. national team back in June. So there's, there's not this perfect balance with how the, the men's and women's side use their fullbacks. And then I would say the last quick thing on, on positional roles is the women's national team number eights are way more creative and capable between the lines. It's a shame we don't get to see more of that because of how much the U.S. crosses the ball. But Rose Lavelle, Ashley Sanchez, and Lindsey Horan are just miles better in possession in between the lines, especially Lavelle and Sanchez, than anyone outside of maybe Gio Reyna that the U.S. could put in that spot. And Gio Reyna has never even done that job under Greg Berhalter. So those are some positional things. Quickly, execution stuff. The women's national team plays against a lot of low blocks. They're way more reliant on crosses from wide areas than the men's national team. I think that's pretty much all I have. Taylor, do you do you agree with some of that stuff? Do you disagree? What other thoughts do you have on this? Yeah, no, I, I agree. You hit the nail on the head with pretty much everything. I think the only thing I would add uh, is just that I think, and you kind of spoke to this too, Joe, I think the U.S. women's team expects to be the dominant team yes, more often than not. Definitely. I think to the extent that I think the few times that I recall seeing them kind of pressed when they weren't expecting it are the times that I've seen them look bad for the opening 15 or 20 minutes, and then their sort of individual quality wins out. Uh, but I think because they expect to have the ball, because they expect to be ball dominant, they... I think at times, to me, are a little bit slower in their buildup if they're taking a goal kick. I hear your point about sort of playing on the break or looking to get in behind, but if they're kind of building out of the back, I think they can afford to be slower in their build and get people into the spots they need them to be to facilitate that possession. I think the U.S. men's side, more often than not, I mean, if they're playing CONCACAF away, maybe that's different, but I think a lot of the time is is expecting to play 
better opposition uh, than they. So then they will be trying to get the ball sort of out of their own danger areas as quickly as possible. And so I think that's not necessarily a formation or tactical deviation, but because I think the men's team is less ball dominant, there are just little variations that become amplified over the course of the game because you're just trying to get the ball out wide and forward as fast as you can, whereas the U.S. women, I think, have the technical ability to play a little bit more slowly and find the spaces when they want to. Comprehensive stuff, Jens. Thank you. Uh, I don't have anything to add, certainly, Graham. Do you? Not really, no. I don't have the knowledge base on the women's side. Obviously, the, the men's team I've watched a lot in 2022, but um, the women's team just don't tend to be broadcast in the UK, which is a shame because there's a lot of women's Euros stuff going to be over on the TV over the next few weeks, and I would definitely watch it. Maybe the new prime minister will make that change, Graham. You never know. Uh, I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't count on it either. Calvin, thank you very much for the question. Uh, let's move on to Crumudgeon. Crumudgeon, nice handle. Uh, in the modern era, 1990 to, pre- to present, uh, as Crumudgeon uh, dictates it, other than Landon Donovan, who is the biggest USMNT World Cup roster snub? Taylor, the biggest mm-hmm. World Cup roster snub besides Landon Donovan since 1990. Yeah, I think there is one uh, answer in my mind, or one obvious answer. I I look forward to hearing other people's. But I would add, I think there haven't been nearly as many, because a lot of the time it does end up being, like, who's going to be the the third choice goalkeeper, the third choice forward. Uh, I think as we go forward and get more and more talent, I was thinking about this talking to Brian Sharetta yesterday, when he was saying Paxton Aronson is probably not far away from challenging for a spot or challenging for minutes with the U.S. national team, and plays a similar position to his brother, where there is already a lot of depth. So I think the the time is coming when there will be more players left off and it will be more of a a, a major snub sort of situation. With all that said, I think the other one, uh, aside from Lennon Donovan, would be John Harks in 1998. This was after he was previously discussed or labeled as captain for life, John Harks. Then he's left off the World Cup in 98. Um and we now know the reason why uh, he was having an affair with Eric Winalda's wife. Steve Sampson chose to leave him out. I believe I'm correct in saying that Eric Winalda spoke to Sampson and said that Harks should be included, that it made the team better, and he was okay with it for the sake of the team. I, I've always wondered if that was like, like Steve Sampson being okay with kind of taking that weight on and alleviating it from Eric Winalda because I can absolutely see why you wouldn't want that player involved in your team. It can only build divisions, even if that 98 team was so poor. And I think the other reason why it gets remembered so... I mean, I think less so now that we know the reason, but at the time it was just this, like, what, you've dropped the captain and there's no explanation? It's, It's a much more, like obvious situation to what we're seeing with John Brooks right now, where there's seemingly something has happened, but nobody knows. But in this case, it's the long serving captain of the national team. And then you get David Regis added to that 98 team. He's a Martinique born uh, footballer who had an American wife. So he was naturalized basically just before the world cup because Steve Sampson guaranteed him a spot. And so I remember people at the time, I'm sure if you go back and look, the discourse is not great um, and would get you canceled these days about like David Regis, but he's not even American. And so I think those two things went hand in hand. People forget that David Regis included in the 2002 World Cup squad. So not exactly a flash in the pan, but I think for all those reasons that John Hark's omission, I think stands out still, even if we know the reasons for it now. All right. I think um, one other that strikes me, Tete, is a uh, our good friend Jimmy Comrade went to the 2006 World Cup. I think he'd probably agree he was snubbed from every other one the US has qualified for. Probably. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, Jimmy Comrade should go to every single World Cup. We all agree on this. Even now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Graham, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> uh, anyone else, lads? Graham, anything? Yeah, so um, I can't remember... Uh, sorry, I can't pretend to remember the John Harts one because I was I was seven years old in the 98 World Cup, but that also came up in my research as well. But one that I, I do remember, so I, I covered the US a lot in the build-up to the 2014 World Cup. I covered that team when they played a lot of games in Europe in 2013, so I was kind of in with that, that squad slightly at that time. And I remember the omission of Eddie Johnson for that tournament being pretty notable at the time, not anything on a Landon Donovan or John Hart scale, but he'd been pretty heavily involved in the qualification campaign. He'd been in good form in MLS for two seasons before the World Cup. Um, he gave the US something a little bit different. It was an option on the wing, but he was left off that roster by uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. And obviously, as we all remember, uh, Gillian Green was called up to that roster for, for, for the tournament and he hadn't 
had a cap or anything before, so that was that was slightly controversial. And then so a couple other mentions again, nothing on the the Landon Donovan or Harks spectrum. But Tim Ream was was left off that roster as well, which wasn't that surprising given that Klinsman hadn't been using him in the build up to the tournament. Nonetheless, he'd had an excellent season at club level. He won Bolton's Player of the Year award in the championship that season. And given the USA's defensive troubles around that time, maybe he maybe he should have been included. And then going back to the 2010 World Cup. And I remember this one vaguely as well. I wasn't covering the team at this point, but 2010, I was I was very much a football fan. And uh, Charlie Davis's exclusion in that squad was a big storyline. Obviously, we all know the reason why he was he was involved in a car crash that killed another person. But he, he didn't recover in time for the World Cup, unfortunately. And and in truth, his his international career as a whole never really recovered from that moment. But at that time, there there was a, a lot of expectation and hope that he might get in that roster, and he didn't. Yeah, that's a good shout. Although. Does that qualify as a snub? No, not necessarily. I'm, yeah. I'm stretching it slightly there. But for the purposes of this question, sure, it's a snub. Why not? Absolutely. Good stuff, Graham. Uh, Big name absence. How about that? Yeah. yeah, that's better. Explained absence. Joe, anything else to add before we move on? No, none for me. We can keep going. Let's do that then. Thank you, Crewmudgeon, for that question. We're going to go to Tyler Stonegood now. This is another rule-based one as uh, we kicked off the show with one like this. What if instead of awarding penalties, Soccer implemented a power play where a goalkeeper would be unable to use their hands for a few minutes after the foul? How would that change the game? Oh, quite a lot, I'd imagine. Taylor, um, <laughs> Taylor, before we start and get into the question, we used this phrase earlier, a power play. What does that mean? It's not really in my lexicons. It's what ha- what's happening at number 10 today. Uh... <laughs> so it's that. And then uh, I know it from hockey. Maybe it's in other sports. But it's basically when you have a player sent to the penalty box, so they're out for two minutes or five minutes or whatever it may be, uh, the team that has the numerical advantage is said to have a power play. I think that's the kind of branding way of putting it so that you can uh, have big like a- alarms go off in your TV coverage and say power play. Uh, so that's usually uh, what it means in this case. Uh, I'm not sure that qualifies. I'm not sure I want this to happen because <laughs> it feels more like a stunt for one of the Jackass movies than it does an actual <laughs> thing to do. Because I feel like it's really hard to play goalie without your hands, and you're gonna end up trying to like if there's a mi- mid height to upper like corner shot, you're going flying into that post legs akimbo because that's all you can use. I guess you could go in head first and get that concussion, but if not, I feel like we're gonna see a lot of of like America's funniest home videos <laughs> style montages of I'm- players just careening into the posts in very sensitive areas. Taylor, I'm now thinking of what jackass stunts we could now incorporate into football. Like players walking down the tunnel and just being smashed by a big hand with a, a, a thing of flour in it. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by the most recent jackass film, Graham, there'll be a lot more nudity in soccer if uh, we right, yeah. more jackass. That's all I would say. Um, I think... It's very when I was sorry, just on a complete tangent, when I was a teenager, we did our we own go. home video oh, of version of, of Jackass yeah. called Fat Ass. Yeah, that was yeah, I, that, that yeah, was a regrettable did, time in my life. <laughs> yeah, we. I think I think a lot of people did the same. Graham, I am in the same boat. We did the same thing, and let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, we did one called the Milk Challenge. Do you remember that one? I think you have to drink a gallon of milk in a certain amount of time, and it's like oh. physically impossible. Basically, it was messy. That was a messy evening. Um, I can't help but notice that Joe is silent for this, and that I, feels on brand. Sorry, now I'm just thinking of all the different challenges, like eating ridiculously hot peppers, and I assume some of you guys did the cinnamon challenge, the milk oh, yeah. challenge, and these are all just horrible ideas, but somehow beautifully entertaining at the same time. Indeed. <laughs> Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville. This is saving a free kick without my hands. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> we, I just, I, I'm picturing it now. Um, I think it would make free kicks pretty unsavable for a start, yeah. though, if we were to actually do this. I think another effect, maybe it would there would be a change in the defensive lines when a free kick was set up. Maybe there would be much more force. What do you think about this, Graham? Would it be much more force in trying to dispossess the other team as quickly as possible so they couldn't get a shot off? Would it change the intensity of uh, the uh, the defending team for free kicks? Yeah, I think so. I think you would have a, a very high press or you would have just all 11 players on the goal line, I guess, and training them to make saves with their head. Um, so I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Maybe you would get a lot of outfield players practicing long range shooting as well to try and catch out goalkeepers yeah. who can't make saves with their hands. I, so I, I'm not sure there's a much of a practical element to this. <laughs> it would be fun and chaotic. And as I've said many times before, I'm all for chaos. But I can't see this one happening. I, I don't think Wenger is proposing this. So I have a question. So are we assuming, based off of this question, that after the foul is given, so there's no penalty, right? Are we assuming that there's a free kick given? Or does just play resume now with the defensive team 
not having a full-strength goalie? Because that oh. sort of influenced how I answered this question. That's a good question, Joe. I was presuming it was a free kick and there was a wall and stuff instead of a penalty. Maybe that's not the correct way, though, Joe. Well, because so, so let me split my answer into two parts then. If there's a free kick, yeah, that's going to really... Uh, it's going to give a slight advantage for the attacking team, but still, I would wager that a free kick without a full-strength goalie is still a lower probability chance than a penalty kick, right? I mean, penalty kicks get converted almost 80% of the time. If you're taking a free kick from outside the box with a wall, I, I don't know. With, with a goalie that can at least move and try to stick a leg out, if you're going low, you pretty much have to go high. I would wager a penalty kick is still a better outcome for the attacking team and a worse one for the defensive team. And that kind of leads into my general thought on this question. I actually don't think it would change the game for... I don't think it would make the games more high-scoring. I actually think it could, if anything, lower the scoring of games. There's so few shots on target in a soccer game. According to Second Spectrum, I went and looked at the numbers. There's been an average of 15 shots on target per MLS game this year. So 15. If you divide 96, so there's about 96 minutes on average in a soccer game, by 15, you get a shot every 6.4 minutes. So if there's no free kick, and if a shot does come while your goalkeeper can't use their hands, the odds of a shot happening at all are still better than the odds of the opposing team missing the penalty kick in the first place. I think this rule would actually even lower scoring more so than it already is, which, I mean, I guess I don't really have a huge preference on whether or not that happens, but I I don't know. Initially, when I read this question, I thought, yeah, I mean, offensive teams are just going to pepper the goal with shots, and if there is a free kick, that might be the case, but even then, I think defensive teams might take this if they could choose after every penalty. See, I, I went the other way. I, I think I think this almost becomes like the extra point in the NFL where you have to find ways to make it interesting because teams would just stop contesting it. Because even if it is, like let's say it's not a penalty given, but the team that would have been given the penalty, they now start with the ball with their goalkeeper like you would a goal kick. But the opposition team, now their goalkeeper can't use their hands for the next five minutes, let's say, or two minutes, whatever it is. I feel like this would end up being like extra time where you would get that sort of frantic, like stressful moment of our keeper can't use the hands. We got to defend everywhere. We got to run everywhere. And I could see it just being a very panicky sequence that yeah. ultimately, if you're within range, you're going to have a go. Uh, and and I think, Joe, it might be hard for uh, you and me to put our free kicks like on frame and high. But I think without a goalie, goalie being able to use their hands, I think a lot of players are going to be able to do that and have some success. If it's an open play, when like when are you going to be able to take a pot shot? You know, like like when are you going to be able to take an unobstructed shot? I mean, it's going to be from distance. Let me, let and me even then, this. like it just doesn't feel likely yeah. at all. Let me ask you this: Did you approach this as when the team scores, is the goalie allowed to use the hands again? Uh, no, no, not at all. I just think so it's, I think it's, it's so a set difficult. Of time. Yeah, let's just say it's three or four or five minutes, anywhere in that sort of span. The yeah. odd, I mean, just. Players don't take shots. I know they would be incentivized to take more shots, but it's not as if the defensive team is just going to part the Red Sea and let you shoot from from ten yards out. That just doesn't happen all that often. I don't. I don't know. I just don't. I don't think this would change score. I don't think it would in, increase scoring by all that much. But I'm happy to be wrong. I think it doesn't happen all that much because I, I don't think there's any way hands. to prove that you're yeah. you're wrong, Joe. <laughs> yeah. I think this is yeah. actually going to happen. <laughs> oh, but I think I can go. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I think we've taken this very seriously. What's a very silly question? So well done, everybody. <laughs> we, we can all agree that this should happen, right? We can all yeah. agree on that. It would be extremely entertaining should it happen. But what I want to happen, Joe, is for the goalkeeper to be like hogtied, like proper like rope you'd moor a boat with. I want to see that yeah. wrapped around our hands, basically. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's what I want. Like the referee, that's, that's now part of the referee's duties is to hogtie goalkeepers after a foul is given <laughs> yeah, that's for right. a few minutes and then untie them again after four or five. Hey, Scott if you could just lay down for a second while I grab the rope, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine just the, the referee walking around with the, 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 uh, the spray on his belt and on the other side, like a lasso of, of rope. Can you imagine oh. the stoppage time? <laughs> 25 minute stoppage time at the end of the match because there were seven <laughs> hog ties. Imagine end to end action and both goalkeepers being hog tied as well. The possibility is <laughs> endless. Marvelous. Marvelous. Okay, now I'm in favor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh. we, we, we swag us around on this one. Excellent stuff. Tyler, thank you for the question there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, slasher movie time. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Jake Schroeder has proposed a very interesting proposition. Proposed a proposition? Tautology, everybody. The TSS Movie Studios are producing a slasher flick, says Jake. Which soccer stars would you cast as these horror character tropes? The jock, the nerd, the stoner, the cheerleader, the nice guy, the harbinger, the killer, and the virgin. Which role suits each of the TSS hosts the best? Let's all play nice with this one, guys. Um... (laughs) How should we do this? Let's go, uh, we'll start with the jock. Maybe we'll go around the table on these and see who wants to throw anything in. I'm going to start off with a suggestion for the jock in our horror movie, or a slasher flick, if you will. You want someone who's maybe not the most learned person, someone who likes to party, who likes to engage oh, in a bit of nighttime activity, impossibly good physique. Graham, say his name. Is it Mr. Grealish? It's Mr. Grealish. There you go. <laughs> Easy, right? He's, he's, he's the answer, isn't he? He is. That's the way I went as well. He also has that sort of big man on campus vibe yeah. where, where girls want to be with him, guys want to be him, if only for those lovely calves that he's got. So I went with yeah. Jack Grealish as well. I bet he's got a Letterman jacket somewhere. Yeah. You he know, earned uh, this role at that moment. I saw the clip of him not knowing what an encyclopedia was. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, man. That's that right there might win that category for sure. <laughs> um, I had Erling Holland, and I also had him as the first to die in my movie because I think it establishes that this killer isn't messing around. If you can take out Erling Holland, a person who's that big and that strong, the I Terminator. Think it says, yeah, yeah we, we, we know. We know something is afoot. I would also add, if people haven't seen it, watch Cabin in the Woods, and I will say nothing else about it, but that is a great horror movie that uh, goes into some of these tropes a little bit. Lovely. Any other jokes, Joe? I have Gio Reyna, but Jack Grealish is way better. Gio Reyna just has that sort of, he, he just has that vibe More to me. I've never actually later. chatted with him, but Jack Grealish is a much better answer. You think he's got a bro vibe? Is that what it is? A, a little bit. Okay. And he's just, he's just really good and frustratingly so, and I don't really know what his personality is like off the field, but he just seems a little cocky on the field, yeah. which is great for the U.S., <laughs> and so I think he fits in this category. But again, it's if Joe. you have a calf calendar, you have to be the answer to this question. <laughs> Joe, I'm just going to jump way ahead. Uh, Giorena is my killer in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, that's wow. exactly who I had. That's uh, entirely fair. He seems innocent, he seems boyish, but at the same time, he will quickly destroy you. And everything I've heard about him on field, I think, was it uh, Reggie Cannon who they asked, like, who's the most competitive in training? And they didn't even finish the question. Yeah. They got to, like, who's the most competitive in training? And he's like, Gio Reyna. Like, immediately, no, was, Gio. Was the question not, um, who talks the most yes, on the pitch? Was. And he was like, Gio Reyna. <laughs> yes, immediately, immediately, the answer came yes. back. Yeah. Uh, but we've seen that before uh, from Gio. So he is my unsuspecting killer who you end up uh, realizing is the killer in a twist. Well, you've jumped to the killer, Caffrey. Why don't we go through that next, Tay-Tay? Because I'm going to nominate someone you've mentioned already. I think it's um, Erling Haaland. Uh, He's literally got a killer instinct in front of goal. And also, death by celebration. He's going to bear hug you. (laughs) He's a damn Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. He's the answer, right? Graham, any any, uh, takers on killers? So Haaland's good. That might be that might be better than what I've got. But I've gone for Giorgio Chiellini for obvi- obvious reasons. But I think the thing that would be most che- chilling dreams. about him is the grin, and that's oh. the really sinister thing about him. You'd be staring into the the dark abyss uh, for any sign of the lunatic pursuing you through the trailer park <laughs> or whatever that you're hiding in, and you just see that grin. That'd be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, that's a good shout. Uh, yeah, he was he was on, he was on my uh, my nearly list for killer. I think Haaland is my favorite. I also had someone Graham. If, you, if you're thinking of the tropes, someone who you adored at the start of the story who turned out to be pretty unsavory, uh, who tainted your childhood memories, Matt Letizia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one as well. Yeah. And uh, please don't sue us, Matt Letizia. Um, uh, uh, Joe, any killers? I had Pepe. I like Chiellini a lot, oh. though. Pepe, just it just feels right, doesn't it? It just yeah. I don't really need to elaborate beyond that. Definitely. Yeah. No, no, no more needs to be said on that one, Joe. Excellent nomination. Let's go to the nerd. Uh, Taylor? Mm-hmm. I've got, nerd? <laughs> uh, so, 
Oh, hurtful. Uh, I had uh, <laughs> Graham Potter wearing a Steve Jobs-esque turtleneck throughout the movie, but that leads to his throat being slit in the movie. Uh, but then I instead made him the like main camp counselor uh, person, the adult, the the chaperone, who is uh, also off fairly early in the film. <laughs> and so my nerd, we're going like the Flash route here. It's a nerd with superpowers, a.k.a. super speed. It's killing Mbappe. We just put the Superman glasses on him, and suddenly, that, that's what they do in the movies, right? You wear glasses, and then you're a nerd. So we put glasses on killing Mbappe and pretend like he's a nerd but actually he's the one who ends up winning at the end of the movie very good the reverse she's all that with the glasses on is that of all? course of yeah, course very good <laughs> that, um, that's the technical term i believe yeah <laughs> indeed i've gone for one matter by the way because egghead likes his bookie work taylor <laughs> <laughs> i accidentally pulled my headphones off i laughed so hard at that oh all right <laughs> he's got some degrees and stuff that's all i'm saying uh graham you nurse. sound like the jock right now <laughs> Spoiler alert for my list of us. Yeah, by the way. me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my nerd, I went for uh, Thomas Muller, but I also had an alternative suggestion. And let me qualify this a bit because I've gone for Ederson as well. And I appreciate he's not an archetypal nerd, but apparently he's into his comic books and he's a gamer and he's got some weird kind of nerdy tattoos. But I think he'd also be the sort of nerd who is quiet and keeps himself to himself until something snaps and then he goes absolutely nuts mm-hmm. with a crowbar. So maybe he's the kind of nerd that you want in your team over typical nerds, uh, Thomas Muller. Once again, TSS lawyers, this is parody we're talking about here. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> excellent one there, Graham. Uh, Joe, do you have a nerd? Have you said a nerd? I do. I have Frank Lampart because I read he was smart. I read he had a high IQ and did well on the English exams. So and Frank Lampart thing- is my nerd yeah joe the best thing is he likes to remind us a lot of that as well which is wonderful um let's go to stoner i'm gonna pick someone who's just been mentioned by graham rutherford me too is it edison (laughs) oh no sorry i thought it was somebody else i'll go for edison because he's the most ice in his veins he's the most relaxed and laid-back player on the field despite major peril happening in front of him he's just like well i'm laid back whatever dude Edison, Stoner, <laughs> that's, Right, it's a very similar line of reasoning for what I used on mine. I was trying to think of the calmest, smoothest player on the field. And if I have to go with all time, I'm very tempted by Iniesta just with his quality. Mm. But in, in modern era, in terms of players, although I do have a non-player later, I'm going Modric. It just, feels, it just feels like he plays the game slower than everyone else, but also faster than everyone else. And that kind of feels about right. Nice. Very good. Uh, Tay-Tay? Nerd? Mm-hmm. Uh, have, have has most of the group, Joe, you're excluded from this one, uh, seen the movie Dazed and Confused? Yes. So I haven't. The stoner in that one, who's always going on and on about conspiracy theories and like the dollar bill <laughs> and all this stuff, uh, George Washington was the stoner man. That's the stoner I'm going for. That's the model I'm basing this off of. And I have gone for Thomas Muller because I picture him just going into like elaborate theories of the universe <laughs> and what he believes uh, sort of while all this chaos is erupting around him. Is that Matthew McConaughey in the movie? That uh, No, Matthew McConaughey is Wooderson and is an entirely different creepy that is somehow likable, even though he shouldn't be. Uh, okay, I'm conflating characters from that movie. Uh, Graham, did you pick a nerd? Uh, I went for Miller and Ederson, but I've not said my stoner yet. And stoner, I've sorry. just gone for uh, Wesley Snyder, just because vibes and Dutch, I guess. <laughs> vibes and Dutch, good enough for me. All right, cheerleader. Um, I've gone for Jurgen Klopp. Because me I too. Think me too. Yay! Yep. You know, very positive, always energetic on the sideline. Joe, that's the logic, right? It, yeah, that's exactly my logic. He's kind of this intense, almost scary cheerleader, but also seems like he'd be a guy to put, put his arm around you and encourage you, which I feel like fits that role-ish, kind of, sort of, maybe, not really. Yeah. Taylor? Uh, yeah, I had him as a rage-fueled, angry dad Will Ferrell character, the get-off-the-shed Will Ferrell, Ferrell character, meets the Spartan cheerleader Will Ferrell and put those together, and that's Jurgen Klopp, my cheerleader for this movie. Very nice. Uh, anyone else who's not Jurgen Klopp for this one, Graham? Um, so I went for Stuart Holden. I feel like he is attractive enough to pull off, uh, in a sort of California way, to attractive enough to pull off a sort of cheerleader outfit. So Stuart Holden is my cheerleader. Oh, you literally wanted to see him dressed as a cheerleader? Cool. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Who doesn't? No. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disputing. Um, I'd like to see Jurgen Klopp dressed that way too. It'd be fun. Yeah. Anyway, um, nice guys, nice guys. Angolo Kante for me. Yep. Uh, world's yep. most humble man. Drives a mini. Doesn't live an ostentatious life. You could imagine him being the the humble, shy little guy in a slasher flick, right, Joe? Yeah, Brad, I don't know how you're looking directly into my notes, but N'Golo Kante is sort of the obvious one here. <laughs> Taylor, what have you got? 
I had N'Golo Kante. Excellent. <laughs> Kante. For all the reasons mentioned. Yeah, N'Golo Kante. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this, what that's telling me is there's only one nice guy in soccer, which is a bit depressing. <laughs> Anywho, uh, the Harbinger. I've gone. I've got. I've done a bit of thinking on this one. You want someone who's kind of wise, who can see things coming in the future, who's two steps ahead, a little bit in control of their destiny, but also they're in a slasher fix. They might not have made the best choices to get into the situation that they're in today. Paul Pogba is my choice there for all the reasons outlined. So, so just to clarify, this this is not. A, I have watched slasher f- uh, films before. I'm not familiar with this term. What Same. what is this person in the so. I think it's it's like you know uh, in the slasher movie when they're going to like the haunted camp and they stop at the gas station along the way. It's the uh-huh. creepy guy at the gas station who's like, "No one's been up there in oh, ten years." It's the okay. person who yeah. sort of like usually foretells yes character. that doom is coming and then will occasionally reappear later on in the movie to so, fill in some of the backstory. So the answer is Bruce Arena. Like that is <laughs> that's just the answer. Old sort of wise. Brings doom, uh, kind of, or yeah. at least near doom at times, and, and pops up when you don't expect him to. Uh, yeah, I like that one, Joe. I also like this one being included because I've never seen that word spelled out, and I've been mispronouncing it my entire life. So that was fun to fi- find out. Uh, oh, but maybe, now maybe that I, I know am, that well, it's... Ha- how, how'd you pronounce it? Maybe I'm I think it. I added the R after the B, so I would make it like Harbringer, oh. not... Uh, Harbinger. Oh, yeah, Ryan, right. you now said it. Right. You had it. You had it. I, I didn't know if it was a Harbinger or Harbinger. I think it's hard. You like to say the Harbinger, harbinger. of Death. Yeah. Oh no, I've just literally been like, if you asked me to write that word out before seeing it written in this question, I would have spelled it incorrectly. Okay, like so, good. that that's where my mispronunciation was coming from. But having learned that, Jermaine Jones is my answer for this one because I believe. Or at least I believe that he believes that he can actually see into the astral plane. So I feel like he'd make a good sort of seer of things to come. All right. The, Jermaine Jones is the hamburger for you, Taylor. Um, Graham? That's the one. I didn't, I didn't understand the assignment, so I don't have it. I'm happy to go with anyone's uh, suggestion here. Excellent. I think, does that leave us with the only choice, uh, the only category remaining? Whew, it's virgin. Um, so we want someone with, I suppose, some innocence and some, some purity, maybe. I've gone in a slightly different way with this one, Jensen. Once again, TSS Fire Truck of Lawyers, please stand by. I'm going for Brendan Rogers because he has a portrait of himself in his house. And to me, that has big BVE, big virgin energy. Uh, I've just realized this might be my favorite ever TSS discussion point. (laughs) (laughs) We're picking out the virgins in football. I mean, take it out of context. Ryan Bailey saying Brendan Rogers has big virgin energy is a pretty (laughs) solid line. I've gone. <laughs> we won't be getting we won't be getting many interview requests from Leicester oh. City anytime soon. I think. Oh, well, I'm I re- not sure if I can beat uh, Brendan Rogers. I regret nothing. Taylor, can you beat it? Uh, my answer was Ryan Bailey. <laughs> okay. Uh, my, my actual answer was Christian Polanco from the Cooligans uh, when pressed. But then I think if I wanted to take the cop out answer, didn't Peter Crouch once answer the question, "What would you be if you weren't a professional footballer?" And his yeah. answer was a virgin. So I'll go that route. I'll go the easy cop out answer. <laughs> that is good. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to raise that. Maybe, maybe we should park that one there. Um, the part, actually, the final part of the question was which role suits each of the TSS hosts the best. For me, I think we're just four nerds. Does anyone else have any, any advice on that? I'm going to guess the consensus is that Ryan is in a different category than nerd. Well, Ryan's the joke. Yeah. I, I, Ryan, I put you there too just because you run, and I, I didn't know we could just give everyone the same label. And so you were just the closest thing that I could get to a jock of the four of us. Thanks. Thanks. You got it. Anytime. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, that was everyone a- loves jokes. You're fine. Everyone does love Jack Grealish, I suppose. And, but Ryan, really you also do know what an encyclopedia is. So in that way, you have an advantage. I do. Uh, thanks again, Joe. Thank you very much. And Jake, thank you for the question. That was an excellent one. Uh, we should wrap up. Do we up. know you that know- Ryan knows what an encyclopedia is? Like, we know that he has criticized Jack Grealish for not knowing. Ryan, can you prove that you know what one is? I think the centipede has 50 legs and the encyclopedia has 100. Is that right? That's the, okay. He got it. Yeah. Never mind. We're good. good. We're good. Uh, there we yeah, go. Pass the um, test. Well done. I was going to wrap it up, but we've got one bonus question here from Carter Smith, uh, and this one I'm probably I'm being a glutton for punishment when I read this one out. But here we go. Who wins in a soccer match between eleven Ryan Bailey's and eleven Taylor Rockwells? From what I can tell, Taylor is the more skilled player. All right, but Ryan has exceptional <laughs> endurance. Does Taylor wear, does Ryan wear Taylor out? Does Taylor put five past Ryan in the first half and sit deep? Thank you very much. I don't know where to go with this question. Taylor, I'll come to you. 
<laughs> uh, I think you also have me in height, so you 100% have me like in physical fitness overall. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of ruthlessness and bloodlust, I think I've got you there. So I think my competitiveness might be the difference maker. I do not know genuinely how competitive Ryan is when it comes to athletic endeavors. I suspect pretty competitive. So I think it would be interesting. But yeah, if it comes down to sort of a marathon style game, I think Ryan is going to have the yeah. edge. I think if Ryan can keep himself from face planting while running in a straight line, wow. his endurance probably could win out in the end. Can but we... I agree with Taylor. I think, Taylor, you, like I have you down. I think this could get quite nasty towards the end, especially if Ryan adopts some crazy gang tactics. <laughs> and uh, yeah, get it on Twitch. Listeners would definitely pay $5 to if, watch this. I'm, I'm sure of it. If the team of 11 Ryan Baileys plays like the team that Ryan was trying to start a couple of weeks ago and our billionaire gives you a bunch of money to start a soccer team question, I uh, I back Ryan. But uh, otherwise, I think, Taylor, you might have the skill advantage here. Yeah, my, my notes, Taylor, were quite similar to yours in that I think I might have, I've got the height on you and maybe the physicality, maybe the fitness, but you're definitely, I think you would definitely be more tenacious and probably have more will to win, should we say. Hey, if you don't have the size advantage, you got to intimidate other ways. Gennaro Gattuso taught me that. There you go, there you go. And actually, I think what would actually happen, Taylor, is it'd be a very even contest. It would go to extra time and penalties, and then you'd win goalie because of wars. the country I was born And then goalie wars, yeah. <laughs> oh, and then goalie I, wars, that would be it. <laughs> I feel like we would be like both sort of like good-naturedly friendly, jovial about it, and then as the game went on, we would get increasingly competitive. Uh, I mm. think. I think, And then those final 15 minutes would just be pure chaos with red cards, and I'm into it. Yeah, I wonder if you, you go down to nine men pretty quick, because I, I think I could wind you up, because... Maybe I could do that. I don't know. Could I be that mean? Not sure. I mean, you call me the wrong name deliberately on like literally every episode, so I feel like I'm used to some of the wind-up tactics. Uh, I call you the name that's on your Instagram handle. Do you want to change it? (laughs) I mean, chicken and the egg situation here, my friend. (laughs) Fair enough. All right, Carter, thank you very much for the question. The debate rages on. Listener, let us know if you have any opinions on the 11 Ryan Bailey's versus 11 Taylor Rockwell's match. But for now, Taylor Rockwell... All one of you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Right back at you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, thank you so much, sir. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. And listener, thank you so much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.